Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm seated here with Tom Dorian. Tom, you doing okay today? I'm, I'm doing, doing fantastic. Great. You know, today we have a wonderful topic. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about the sacramental bond of marriage and, and the Catholic understanding of marriage. But then also sort of uh, what happens when the marriage is not working. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the whole Catholic understanding of the annulment and what that means. Okay. We do have a heavy-duty guest. All right. Who's going to help us do that topic. Expert, I'm sure. That's exactly right. We've got Father Michael Joyce. He's the Chancellor of the Diocese of Memphis. Uh, he's also the Vice President and President-Elect of the Canon Law Society, so we need to watch our uh, P's and Q's here. You. Very much so, right? right absolutely. Father, welcome welcome to our Catholic Cafe in the, the luxurious corner booth. Thank you, Deacon Jeff and Tom. It's great to be here with you. Well, we really want to focus this show on that sacramental bond of marriage. And what do we mean by a sacramental marriage? Where do we get that idea from? Well, we uh, distinguish between natural marriages, which uh, we believe everybody uh, who enters into marriage experiences that. But for uh, any baptized Christian, uh, we believe as Catholics that those marriages have an additional dignity brought on to them Uh, And they, therefore, are a sacrament uh, and reflect for the rest of the community the love that Christ has for the church and that the church has for Christ. Our uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church has a beautiful paragraph that sort of sums up marriage. And Mm -hmm. in paragraph 1601, it says, The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So basically it says the same thing. Did you write this catechism, Father? No, no, I've read it a few times. (laughs) Very good, very good, very good. So now we do have to ask, though, when we have a sacramental bond, Right, we understand that in the Catholic Church as being indissoluble, as something that that can't be broken. Mm-hmm. Explain that concept for us. Well, um, it, it predates the quote that you had from the Catechism, which actually comes from the Second Vatican Council and its constitution on the Church in the Divine World. And at that time, the Council Fathers uh, changed the way that we thought about marriage. We used to think about marriage as a contract or a bond. Right. But they went back to our rich religious tradition and said, well, yes, it is a contract, but it's a unique kind of contract. It's a covenant kind, which uh, covenants by their very nature are considered to be permanent and indissoluble. Right. And so uh, there's a couple of great scripture verses that basically bespeak this, that say, uh, that mm-hmm. we have no authority as humans to break this this covenantal bond. For instance, if we read in the Gospel of Matthew, Christ himself is saying, you know, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, 
let not man put asunder. Mm-hmm. Just a simple little statement that says, well, you know, once God has joined these two together, we shouldn't do anything to mess that up. In terms of a sacramental marriages, we do believe that those are indissoluble. And that's where we need to sort of, maybe we'll focus a little bit here on this show at this point in time. Mm-hmm. What happens when there are questions about the sacramentality of that particular marital bond? So, you know, in this day and age, marriage has come under attack in so many forms and fashions, but we live in a world where uh, it's kind of difficult maybe to achieve that true sacramental bond. And I think for mm-hmm. uh, if you look out into the world now, you look and see these divorce rates, and they've crept up to the point where even among Catholics, you'll see one in two marriages mm-hmm. uh, breaking up. Right. And so you have yeah. to wonder, well, did they attain that sacramentality? Did they reach that level that, that God is speaking of here when he says, let no man put this asunder? When people experience... Um the, the breakdown of a, a marriage union, and uh, they come to the church. Uh, what we ordinarily do is that we then look to see if there was something that happened in the course of them entering the marriage that kept it from becoming effective, or use technical language again, valid. We are very careful to talk about issuing declarations of invalidity. We uh, want to um, acknowledge that when people do enter such a union, uh, that they, there are many good things that initially uh, come about in their lives. Uh, but nonetheless, there is some critical flaw at the very beginning that uh, doomed it to failure. Well, and this is when we bring in the the uh, the topic or the concept of an annulment, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, what is an annulment in just simple okay. terminology? Well, first of all, let me be clear: uh, the Catholic Church never uses the word annulment. Oh, we don't. And all of the official uh, documentation, all the law, we never use the word annulment. Hmm. Uh, we say that marriages are invalid or not binding, but again. We want to acknowledge that uh, people's experiences, that the, the term annulment usually means there's nothing there, nothing ever happened. And yet the fact is people can show you their wedding pictures, you know. And, and sometimes they can show you their children. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, you, you're reading my mind again. <laughs> uh, the most wonderful thing of all, the children of the union. So uh, what we look at is, was there something missing? When they said, yes, I want to marry, uh, that kept it from becoming a valid or binding marriage. Now, so what are some of these things? What, these would be grounds uh, for determining that a marriage is invalid. What, right. what are some of these things that, that people might encounter? Well, there, there are the, uh, what we call the traditional grounds. Uh, when one or both of the parties entered marriage, did they say, Yes to the marriage, with the exception of fidelity. I'll enter this marriage, but I want to uh, be able to still play my cards. Or, so an incomplete uh, uh, devotion to each other. Yes. Okay. The other traditional ground is uh, the good of children. Uh, yeah, I want to get married to you, but uh, I'm not going to let you have any kids. I don't want any kids in this relationship. And uh, then the other is uh, the intention of permanency. 
uh, yeah, I'll, I'll enter this marriage as long as it's good, and minute we run into problems, I am free to leave and enter another marriage. And if, if someone enters a marriage under some of those circumstances, then there would be a question about whether or not this might truly be a sacramental bond that is indissoluble at that point. Right. Now, if you said there are some traditional grounds, are there also some non-traditional grounds that you might encounter? Right. Uh, during the 20th century, there, there's been a whole development um, in the Catholic Church and starting out pretty much in, uh, with the uh, court in Rome. Uh, on what we call psychological grounds, that uh, because of the insight that we have into um, how people arrive at decisions, uh, the external things that might uh, keep them from making a wise, informed decision, uh, we now look at those factors as well, and we you know have the great development of psychological sciences during the 20th century. Right, and maybe the condition that people are in physically and psychologically when they make those decisions will come into play as well. If they were, let's say if it was a horrible situation where they were addicted to some particular uh, drug or uh, something else and and they're trying to make these decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives, maybe they're not in the proper frame of mind or the ability to make those decisions. That's a very classic situation. Other classic situations are... uh, you know, young people who are living in uh, abusive and unnurturing homes, trying to find some kind of happiness, um, frequently unplanned pregnancies, people right. not weighing the options. The Pressures from family, uh, et cetera, yes, et cetera. Yeah, very much so. Well, now, a lot of people criticize the Catholic Church here at this point. Let's, let's just sort of dive into this concept, and that is that, you know, what's the difference between uh, decreeing uh, a marriage invalid and and divorce. A lot of people think, well, isn't this just a Catholic divorce? That declaration of, of invalidity essentially is not divorce. What it's saying, that sacramental bond was not there, was not complete. So essentially it's saying this was an invalid union from the beginning. Right, just like the civil government. And we actually have about uh, technically about 16 different grounds that we use, and uh, it's amazing how many of those are the same that are used for civil annulments. You had mentioned before that you said whether Catholic or not, and, and, and obviously sort of in our definition of a sacramental bond, we mentioned that basically a baptized Christian is involved here. So I'm, I'm taking that it's not only Catholics who need to investigate uh, the, the possibility of having a decree of invalidity as far as their previous marriages are concerned, even if you're, uh, let's say, a, a, a good church-going Baptist mm-hmm. married to a Catholic and you have previous marriages involved and, and they want to have a marital union, that's going to involve that process as well, is it not? Very much so. Uh, many of those who come to us, as a matter of fact, are not Catholics. Because a lot of people, that's a, that's a misconception out there that, well, I wasn't married in the Catholic Church, so they have nothing to say about my previous marriage, so we're going to start fresh. But really... That sacramental bond, because as we know in our Catholic teaching, that that the, the the couple are the ministers of that sacrament. Exactly. And if they're baptized Christians, whether they happen to be Baptists or Methodists or Presbyterians or whatever, uh, when they join together, they're joined together in the eyes of God, and, and, and they're moving forward into what appears to be a sacramental bond. Yeah, for life. Actually, uh, you know, we have those kinds of situations, but... W- what I find more sad, I guess is uh, the best word to use, is when uh, Catholics tell uh, other Christians, well, 
you don't need one because uh, you weren't married in front of a priest during the Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, that, that means we're demeaning other sacramental marriages. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to realize the beauty uh, of that sacramental bond. Yeah, regardless of where it, it comes. Exactly yeah, right. right. Very yeah. good, very good. All right, well, Father Joyce, we have some more to talk about, uh, This the, the beauty of holy matrimony mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this uh, uh, idea that some marriages may be uh, decreed invalid. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. Before we do that, though, I want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website to visit, www.thecatholiccafe.com, uh, and we'd love to uh, have you email me at uh, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. On November 22nd, 1981, early in John Paul II's pontificate, He gave an apostolic exhortation outlining the four tasks of the family. It was called Familiaris Consortio. With love as the sole reference point, these tasks are to serve as the framework for the life of the Christian family. The first task outlined by the late pontiff is forming a community of persons. John Paul wrote, The family, which is founded and given life by love, is a community of persons, of husband and wife, of parents and children, of relatives. Its first task is to live with fidelity, the reality of communion, and a constant effort to develop an authentic community of persons. John Paul II said the second task of the family is to serve life. The late Holy Father wrote, Thus, the fundamental task of the family is to serve life, to actualize in history the original blessing of the Creator, that of transmitting, by procreation, the divine image from person to person. John Paul exhorts Christian couples to follow the original command of God given to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The third task of the family is participation in the development of society. The document goes on to say, The family has vital and organic links with society, since it is its foundation and nourishes it continually through its role of service to life. It is from the family that citizens come to birth, and it is within the family that they find the first school of social virtues that are animating principles of the existence and development of society itself. Here, the late Holy Father builds on the tradition and belief of the Church that the family is the bedrock of a healthy, social, and political life. The fourth and final task of the family is the sharing in the life and mission of the Church. John Paul II said, Among the fundamental tasks of the Christian family is its ecclesial task. The family is placed at the service of the building up of the kingdom of God in history by participating in the life and mission of the church. The late Holy Father confirms that the family is the church in miniature, or the domestic church. Just as the life of the family is critical to the social order, it is also critical to the life of the church and its overriding mission in the world. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back in the Catholic Cafe, sitting here in the luxurious corner booth. Tom, uh, we still have our guest, Father Michael Joyce, here. Did you have you been taking some notes? Do you have an idea of you know what you're up against now in your marriage situation? Need to need to stay married, don't you? <laughs> That's a good. Yeah. That is a good goal to have. Less complicated. Absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and you got a beautiful, wonderful wife. So, Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate that's that. that's definitely mm-hmm. going to be a that's a good thing. Flattery will get you everywhere. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, Father George, we want to continue on this uh, this topic here, uh, especially in terms of the, the beauty of the the sacramental bond mm-hmm. and our goal to to have that for everyone who's married. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. There's a concept out there that anyone who gets a divorce mm-hmm. is automatically excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Is that true? No, no, not at all. Um, well, actually, there is a little bit of a historical basis to that. Uh, in the church in the United States, and only the church in the United States, in the 19th century, the bishops uh, issued a document saying that uh, people who did divorce and remarry, not right. simply got divorced, but they also remarried, to spite the teachings of the church on indissolubility were excommunicated. Right. So you had to have the intention, I'm doing this to show the church. I'm thumbing my nose at it. So that is now gone. Right. It's I think in the, in the 60s or so. Years, yeah, right. 40 years, yeah. Hmm. Right. So th- this is this idea that someone should not uh, be part of the church anymore, that, that, that the church, that she does no longer wants those broken children, is what some people think. And, and, oh, and that's so know, far from the truth. Very far from the truth. Again, because, you know, uh, life is so important to us as, um, as, as Christians and particularly as Catholics uh, that if a relationship is killing people, the, we don't want people to stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to, to find what will promote their life. And, and well, and obviously them. if that relationship is... Um, is killing them, yes, you know, right. psychologically or physically. Yeah, in some cases the, it is physical. That's exactly yes. right. And because I get that criticism as well that, you know, well, if the Catholic Church is against divorce and I have a situation of spousal abuse, mm-hmm. well, does that mean the church wants that couple to stay together to the detriment of one or the other being uh, beaten or abused in some other uh, way? Well, of course not. Right, definitely not. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of the great uh, fathers of the church, St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of the things he said that I really liked was he talked about this idea that how you could tell that something was of God, something that was beautiful that God ordained and wanted and, and that God was present. And you could tell by the fruits yes. of that thing. Mm-hmm. So if you have a good and fruitful marriage, if you love each other deeply, if you have beautiful children, if you have uh, peace and happiness in your life, well, obviously there might be a sacramental bond there. Very much so. But then if you have the opposite... Mm-hmm. If you if there's disharmony, if there's not peace, if there's uh, physical or, or mental abuse, obviously there's something wrong there that needs to be investigated. Right. And 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 maybe that will be a, a case where the sacramentality of that marriage might be challenged. Very much so. I mean, it just I think at face it could be challenged because the kind of relationship you just described sure does not reflect the kind of relationship that Christ has with us. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. love and peace and unity. That's exactly right. right. Now, back to this idea of automatic excommunication. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is not an opportunity for you to leave the church. This is, a, this is when the church needs to be ever present to, to, to minister to you. Right. I, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, we try to do that in many of the dioceses in the country. 
very concretely and practically with people who uh, approach the church and ask for a declaration. We uh, work to try and provide them with uh, pastoral care so that they can talk to uh, someone who's skilled in terms of the uh, pain and suffering that they've experienced. We obviously provide them with uh, technical uh, support with people who are skilled in the law, who know how to navigate it. And we also work very hard with a variety of specialists in various fields to to provide the people who are seeking the assistance of the church uh, questions to help them not give answers to the judges who are going to be looking at the case as much as opportunities for them to reflect on their own lives right. and to um, see where, uh, that yes, this relationship was fatally flawed, not only in legal language, but in experiential. I was on a talk show many years ago previously, and uh, there was a woman there, and uh, after the show finished, she goes, I was so grateful for the questions I had to ask in this when, I, when she was seeking her annulment, she said, as I was filling them out, I realized the guys I was dating were all my former husbands. <laughs> I quickly changed the kinds of guys I started going out with. <laughs> so it gave her, you know, and I think many other people, personal insights where they can go, oh, now I can move forward with my life in a healthy and positive fashion. Mm-hmm. So this whole process, then, is is all part of a process of, of hope and healing. Very much so, very much so. And also of reconciliation. That um, my experience, I mean, think people frequently say, oh, divorce is easy to get. But by and large, people I've talked with, it was a painful decision. It was the last thing they wanted to do. And so they move out of that with a lot of self-disappointment. And I think the first thing people need to do who have experienced breakdown and divorce is to be reconciled with themselves so that they can move forward and not stay stuck in the past. Reconciliation with the community that, you know, oh, I'm excommunicated and are all kinds of other things. Right. Like, I'm broken. Nobody wants to deal with me. That's not true. Uh, That's the whole are, reason the church is here. Exactly. We're a church of sinners. We're all <laughs> exactly you know, right in different kinds of ways. And then also for reconciliation with God. Uh, the, again, God loves us. God is so gracious to us. But I don't always feel that way. And I you know, need to approach God and say, I'm sorry. And give me your grace to come into closer life with you. And now we also need to talk about the fact that there is a process here and that we don't want to circumvent that. Uh, And that's why the church is very staid in her view on those that divorce and remarry without going through that process. So if you have two baptized Christians, uh, especially those that are Catholic or where one party is Catholic and they they get a divorce and they remarry and then they feel like, well, I should be able to participate in all of the sacraments freely. It's it's okay. I didn't go through any of this uh, process. And that's something that we need to talk about just a little bit uh, to help people get the understanding of why the church is so particular about uh, whether it's not receiving communion, uh, etc. when you're uh, in a situation where you have not gone through that process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Basically, because of our convictions, our belief that when 
uh, a man and a woman exchanged vows, gave their word to each other, gave their word to the community, gave their word to God. They're bound by that word forever. It carries weight. Yes, it means something. And so to simply say, well, I can go get divorced and I can get remarried. Well, what about everybody else? You know, again, our society is so individualistic. We forget about the community. Uh, you know, and you gave your word not just to each other, but to the community. You stood up in front of a, a church, not a building, but a church. Right. And so we've got to ask the question, well, what, what is it about what you did? Um, because it looks to us like, you know, like you're committing bigamy. Let's be right. real frank about it. Right. That's the way it looks. Right. And so we need to address that. Yes. And, and we need to do that in a way that's going to obviously still offer that hope and healing, but also put us in line with what the church teaches. Yeah. So that we can receive all the grace that God has in store for us through the, the church. Right. Um, now, there's one last topic I want to I mention. It's another misconception. And that's this idea that people uh, don't want to seek this process they don't want to go through this process of of uh, decreeing that the the marriage is invalid because then they think that for some reason the children will be considered illegitimate yeah, and we right. want to dispel that so. misconception very much so yeah and it is it's a very wide misconception uh, first of all legitimacy in both church law and civil law is what we call a legal fiction and it makes this up primarily for inheritance reasons. So um, in uh, church law, any child born of what is thought to be a marriage right. is considered legitimate, has right. the right to inheritance. That's why in law, uh, even invalid marriages are called putative marriages. That means we thought they were married. That's right. Everybody thought, you know, like I said, you've got pictures, you've got kids. Uh, so everybody thought it was marriage until we got looking a lot deeper at it and realized something was missing. So it does include the children of invalid marriages. Right. In short, the, you know, Jesus loves the little children. We've yes, sung that song yes, before. Yes, you know, and yes. he said, let the children come unto me. I mean, obviously God loves kids. Yeah, right. You know, and, and, and we, we would never then consider uh, children uh, anything less than a, than a great gift from God. Well, Father Michael Joyce, thank you so much for um, giving this insight uh, about the Catholic Church's teaching on holy matrimony uh, and, uh, and then also what happens when, uh, when that sacramental bond is not, is not present, uh, this concept of the annulment or uh, decreeing the marriage invalid. I hope this, uh, this helps all the folks at home and better mm -hmm. understanding what the Church teaches about these subjects. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. Thank you, Tom. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you married the people of Israel just as your son was bridegroom to the church. Help us to promote and defend the sanctity of holy matrimony. And may all who live in the state of married life open their hearts to your ever-abundant grace in their lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. 
there's always room for one more at our table. 